On average, you and I speak around 16,000 words in 24 hours. Some claim uh, that men speak a little less than women. My wife claims I speak a little more than her. Uh, I don't know if that's the same with your families. Um, Last year alone, 2.2 million books were published across this planet. Google's index of of, of all the kind of websites in the world currently contains over 55 billion websites. Everywhere we look, there are words, 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 screaming for our attention, road signs, text messages, legal documents, emails, voicemails, mail, whether they're written or spoken. We're in a society that's saturated by words. Which means we need to be very good at figuring out which words are worth hearing. As we begin our new series in the book of Deuteronomy, what we'll discover more and more as the weeks go by is that this book, Deuteronomy, is a book about words. It has a lot to say about words. In fact, it's a book about words that are about words. But I want to let you uh, see the book, let you introduce you to the book uh, on its own. I hope you're in the habit of bringing along a Bible to church. Uh, We've got some at the back if you don't have one. Uh, If you don't have one at all, we'd love to give you one. That's on us. Um, so if you just want to stick your hand up, Lydia will kind of bring you a Bible around now, but um, everyone won't look, it's okay. We'd love you to bring a Bible each week as we get into God's Word. Um, the title, Deuteronomy, it's not actually the book's original title. It comes from uh, the Greek word meaning second law. Um, it's kind of actually a mistranslation of one part of Deuteronomy. But if you're a Hebrew reader, uh, before it was translated into the Greek, before it was turned termed Deuteronomy, it would have been called Elechachtavarim, or in other words, these are the words. That's what every Hebrew reader knew this book as, these are the words, the title of, of actually the opening phrase of the book, these are the words that Moses spoke. It's a book full about words, full of words, but they're not just any old words. See verse 1 up on the screen? These are the words Moses spoke. Moses, if you remember, um, he was the guy who led God's people out of Egypt. Remember the stories of kind of the Red Sea, parting of the Red Sea, going through the kind of plagues out of Egypt and then out, out of that area. He, he's the guy who took Israel, God's people, to this mountain called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. Um, and there they heard the Ten Commandments from God. They heard God speak. All Israel heard God speak out loud. Freaked them out. And they sent Moses up to the mountain and said, you do with God. We don't want to hear God speak. Uh, Moses has been the leader of God's people and the man who wrote the first five books of the Bible. So most of the book of Deuteronomy really records three speeches by Moses, probably on the same day. Um, They're long sermons, they're long kind of messages, these speeches by Moses. I kind of like that because it justifies me being able to talk really long at the front here, right? Because the first speech that Moses gives is only four chapters, but it's reasonable. Four chapters is a fair bit. Second speech uh, goes from chapter 5 to chapter 28. That's a while. Imagine listening to that as he kind of talked to people. I don't know if they were sitting or standing, but that's pretty long. Um, and then the third one's quite short, 29 and 30. But I know that preaching long sermons actually has health risks, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit at the, at, towards the end of the, of the book of Deuteronomy, where we see that on the same day Moses said these words... He died. So I'm not going to try and go for too long. Uh, there's, other, I mean, there's other material around these, but mainly it is a book about these three speeches. But it's not just a book about Moses' words. Uh, 
It claims to be more. Have a look with me at chapter 1, verse 3. It'll be up on the screen. It says, In the the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. All that the Lord had commanded him. The the words Moses spoke at this assembly, uh, recorded in this book, are the words that God told Moses to speak of. So as they stood there and as the people listened to these speeches, they were listening to what God had to say. Not just what God had to say, what God had to say concerning them. Listening to these words, taking these words seriously for these people who were gathered around Moses was enormously important. Now if you weren't particularly interested in these words then you wouldn't have been particularly interested in what God had to say to you. But if you listened, if you you took notice, if you heeded the words as Moses spoke them, you were actually hearing God if you were there. You were actually hearing God. My guess is that there are many of us here today who even though we understand that about the book of Deuteronomy, we're like, yep, we get it. God was kind of speaking to the people gathered around through Moses at this point. there's kind of a little part of us shifting in our seats going, wow, Deuteronomy? We're going to spend 11 weeks looking at Deuteronomy? Like, that's a long book. That's a lot of stuff written for some people who lived probably, what, two, three and a half thousand years ago? Uh, That's that's a, a long time ago. Is this stuff even relevant to me? What's it got to do with me, right? And that's a good question to be asking. We should always ask that whenever we read anything, but particularly in the Bible, what what has this got to do with me? Even if it was God speaking to Israel, so what? What's the problem that many of us face when we open any part of the Old Testament, right? How do we understand what was written to a different people at a different time and now applied to us today? Well, here we have Moses doing something very similar. Sometimes the relevance of what we meet, what we read in the Bible is actually more obvious than others. And here we have Moses. And I'll explain the kind of situation of what he's doing in a second. But here we have Moses explaining to those ancient Israelites so very long ago what God had to say, not just to them, but to their fathers. And so then to them. So we can come to agree it was very important for them, right? It was important for them to hear what God was saying. It was important for them. But is it really important to us? Well, that's the question that I think this book answers. It's a very important question, and one we're going to understand more and more as we work our way through this book. I love Deuteronomy. It's it's, it's Moses speaking to God's people on the edge of all their hopes and dreams, of entering into this promised land. They're, They're there overlooking it. And it's like, how do we live according to what God wants us to? How are we going to live when we enter into this promised land? It's like this Moses' last pep talk to God's people. Well, Deuteronomy 1.1 tells us, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. So picture this for a moment. Just think where it is in your head. In the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophiel, Labian, Hazaroth, and Dizab. Right, so you've got that in your heads, right? It's a joke. Right? Who knows where those places are? In fact, it's quite tricky. Um, but I've got a map that I prepared earlier. So hopefully you can see. Where they're standing is just on the um, east side of the River Jordan, which is that one that comes down from the top. 
just below the, the Dead Sea, on a mountain range, kind of overlooking Moab and then out towards Canaan, the land that was kind of green. Um, that's why you can see the green area up there. It's kind of nice land. If you looked out this way to the, to the east, it's just desert. So here they stand in the desert on the edge of the promised land. They've come out of Egypt. So you can see Egypt kind of way up over here. The red dot is kind of their journey, the red line. Uh, they've come out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea uh, and then zipped down here to Mount Sinai, which is at the bottom. There's a little arrow on the next slide of that. I hope. There you go. So that's where Mount Sinai is. That's where they heard the Ten Commandments, uh, I think, somewhere around there. And then um, they spent some time, that we'll see in a second, moving to another place. Um, so here they are, waiting to enter God's promised land, waiting to think, to think about how do we go in? When do we go in? They had to wait for, for Moses to finish his three long speeches, so it could have been a long day. Uh, he, Moses didn't have to die. Somebody else would take over the leadership. But then these guys are on the edge, right? You kind of, they've been in the desert for a while, we'll see in a second. Now, there's a little bit of a significance here in the book of Deuteronomy and throughout the whole Bible on places called the desert. Um, as far as the Bible is concerned, being in the desert has got extraordinary significance. I'm not going to outline it this week, but we'll see over the coming weeks just what that means and why they're there. But being in the desert is a reminder to say that they are outside where God wants them. They are outside the land that is, that is great and joyful and is full of fruit and is, is just kind of rich. So we can kind of see where they're standing in this real part of the world. Um, we can see where they've been out of Egypt, down the bottom. We can see where they're heading back into Canaan. But the question still remains, so what, right? That's great. This is a little bit of history. Why do we care? Why are these words worth hearing? We'll come back again to verse 2. And here's where we see the puzzle of the book, or at least the first puzzle. <laughs> Everything else is straightforward, but in verse 2 we see this. Maybe it's not on the screen. It, it took 11 days to go from Horeb, Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, if you go the right way. Now have a look on, on the map up here. I'll show you the two places. Um, Horeb is the black arrow down the bottom. Kadesh Barnea is the black arrow at the top. That was an 11-day journey. Okay? Everyone knows that. If you go by the Mount Seir Road, obviously. Um, but then look at verse 3, and it says this. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. It took them 40 years to do an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years. And you think Auckland has traffic problems. Seriously. 40 years, 11 days. That's just kind of, as you read that, you're like, okay, there's something going on here. There's some reason. And we're not going to look at it all today. We'll see it next week as we come and Moses goes through and explains how they got there. But God had told them to go into the land that he was going to give them. They refused for reasons we'll look at next week. They actually refused to believe in God. They refused to obey God and they wouldn't, they wouldn't go in. So God said, okay. You can hang out in the desert for 40 years in the same pair of clothes. Um, I think they're probably pretty stinky. In fact, they hung out there so long that a whole generation of people died. So that only those that were children at that time were alive. The only people that were pretty much left were Moses and Joshua and a couple others. 
Now, when we think about the problem of relevance, how are these speeches of Moses going to be relevant? We're going to start to begin to see how this book's going to help us with that because the whole generation that was gathered, hearing Moses' words, never heard what God said at Mount Sinai. Never heard the Ten Commandments. Never heard God's voice boom out because they weren't there. So it actually puts us in a very similar situation to the people that Moses is speaking to. We haven't heard God speak at Mount Sinai, and neither had the people Moses was speaking to. So he's going to remind them of what God said and why it is important. These guys have been standing there for, well, walking around for 40 years. Now you can imagine their longing to know what God is going to do, when he's going to save them. You can imagine them feeling like it's been a long time, wandering purposelessly, hopelessly. So as Moses opens his mouth in these three speeches, in the desert east of the Jordan River, he's going to help them understand the relevance of what God has said in the past to us today. He's going to help them understand why these words are worth hearing. So here they are, this new generation that have not seen anything or heard God. What do they need to hear in the Jordan? We'll have a look at verse 3. In the 40th year, Moses, on, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. Verse 5. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to explain this law. What Moses is doing is saying that God spoke to them when he spoke at Sinai, even though they weren't there. They needed an explanation of God's word to them. They needed to hear words. Why? Because God had spoken. What we're told here is that God has spoken concerning them. That his word to Israel 40 years earlier was his word to them today. Now, I know I'm laboring this a bit, but it becomes an important point in a second. If one of your friends writes a Facebook update about you today, you know, that's great. You're kind of like, yep, so what? Someone wrote something about me. Say one of your colleagues texts someone else about you. You know, you kind of go, yeah, that might hurt a little if they say something bad or if it's good, you know. But ultimately, you kind of go, they're not things of huge significance, right? But if God has spoken concerning you, that was really true. Or just pull back a notch. Let's just say that the Prime Minister has spoken concerning you. You'd want to know, wouldn't you? Or, or the Queen has spoken concerning you. Or God, the one who claims to be the maker of the world, has spoken concerning you. These words are vitally important. To an apathetic generation sitting in the desert, tired, stinky, thinking that all hope is gone, thinking, who is God? Where is he? Why won't he speak to me? These words are vitally important. And here we see a principle that runs right throughout the Bible. The principle that the God who is really there, the God who's created everything, the God who sent his son into the world, is the God who has spoken. And precisely because God has spoken, we can hear it quite clearly because he is God and he makes himself known to us. You see, God's word defines what true Christianity is. Because God has spoken, it enables us to define between true Christianity and false religion. 
True Christianity is this. It's to hear God's word and follow it. False religion is this. To seek to find God elsewhere. And it's not hard to see both today. Places in the church, in the world, where we kind of get them mixed up. We, we can either go, oh, we can hear God's word, or we can hear someone just making up what, what we think about stuff, or other, other sources. But all too often, what we actually hear is a mixture of both. It's easy to define what's God's word and what's not. But when the two are kind of mixed in, and people are like, some of it is, and it's harder to tell, right? And that's exactly what you have when you have a mixture of the truth of God's word and made-up religion, a contamination. But if God has spoken, then to hear God and to follow God is really what it's all about. If you go and try and find God elsewhere, try to make up your own ideas about God, you try and make up ideas that seem to fit your view of the world, a smorgasbord of world religions, a pick and choose of what the Bible says, to kind of make us go, yeah, I think that's the way I would write it if, if I was doing it. Or we see people kind of make up ceremonies or experiences and then kind of teach these experiences or, or pass them on to their children. And, and really what they're holding out is an encounter with God. But the question is, did God speak? Is this what God has said? If we make stuff up, we like to think, like the phrase, what I like to think about God is, then we're actually not viewing the God who made the world. We've got some kind of concocted experience of him. We can go around trying to make up those experiences. We do it. I do it sometimes with a whole variety of different ways. But what we're kind of seeing in this part of Deuteronomy, this first bit as we get in, is that God's word is worth hearing. It seems to me so often within Christian circles, um, God's word today sometimes doesn't feel enough. I don't know if you've experienced that for yourself, that desire to kind of hear God more loudly or see him more clearly or experience the kind of power of God. Not just, I just want to know what he he says. I want to experience him over and beyond, beyond what he said to me in the Bible. We've seen it throughout history, and we we see it lots of times. You see it in people's misunderstanding of the gift of tongues. So they think that by the experience of speaking in tongues, that you've got a closer experience of God, a a deeper experience of God. You're touched by God in a way that brought a reality into your Christian life that you never had when you just heard God's word. You see it in people's misunderstanding of the gift of healing. That if we can get in and out and see these miracles happening amongst people, seeing God's miraculous power at work, then I'll be closer to God. If he would just do this thing through me or or heal me, and then I'd be strengthened, my faith would be strengthened, God would be here, and I I would just feel like I've seen God's power, I've, I've experienced God in a way that is much greater than I experience him in his word. Well, we see it in people's misunderstanding of the gifts of prophecy. Where people go, I've got a new word from God. A new word that's, that's just as important as scripture. And this is the thing we start chasing. God is going to speak to me today. And, and it's actually quite attractive, isn't it? 
that we, we want to hear God speak to us today. And the person who comes and says, well, I have a word from God for you. This is what God told me to tell you. It seems like, wow, this person's connected. They experience God in a way that I never have. In a way that, well, maybe I have sometimes, but there's something special happening here. But please don't hear me claiming that tongues aren't for today. Don't hear me claiming that healing is something that God doesn't do anymore. Or that God can't prompt us and convict us about things in an extraordinary sense, in the same sort of way as prophecy. I think he can, and I think he does. But none of these experiences should ever match the clear and direct experience of God to us in his word. If God spoke concerning us, this is clearly what he has to say. Prophecy needs to be tested. The scriptures don't, right? There's some difference there. When someone says, I have a word from God, you test it against scripture. Yet God's word is the test. So they can't be on the same plane. Yet so often, the the prophecy just feels like that much more special. Where it's tested against the word. Now, it doesn't mean we throw prophecy out the window, but it is an inferior experience of God. We've got to say that. It's an inferior experience of God when it's compared to his word. doesn't mean we throw tongues out the window, but the words we speak in tongues will never reach the heights of God's revelation to us in his word. Do you see what I'm trying to show us? God's word here is a word's worth hearing. If God spoke, there can be no greater experience of him. And if we start striving or looking for an experience of God outside of his word, then we're looking in the wrong place to meet God. The other place we do it is singing. You know, so many people kind of go, well, the worship is such an important thing in church. It helps me get close to God. I want to kind of be ushered into the presence of God. And when we sing, when I'm able to say those words and the kind of music is pumping, I feel like God is here and God is close to me and that I'm in his presence experiencing the reality of God right now. Now, music is good. It helps us connect the truth we know about God with our hearts that so often don't feel the way they should about God's word. But it doesn't usher us into the presence of God. No more than a song on the radio gets me closer to my wife. It might remind me about words about Sarah. It might help me to remember her faithfulness to me in the past. But the music is kind of helping me remember the words, the relationship between Sarah and I. Now, I want to be very pro-music here. I think music's great. And it's so helpful for helping my head and my heart get on the same wavelength. Um, and we're actually commanded to sing throughout Scripture. Uh, we actually said we should sing praises to God. We're praising God. We're encouraging one another as we sing together. And we should do it um, with our whole heart, with all our being, because really when we think about what God has done for us, well, why wouldn't you want to sing? Why wouldn't you want to praise this God? I think it's all too easy to rob God of his praise simply because we fear looking foolish. We fear kind of what others will think about us. We fear that we can't sing as well as someone else or someone might label us or we're afraid to put our hands up and praise God that way because, 
well, someone else did that, and their theology wasn't the same as mine. And so it's just, you know, we play it cool, and we end up muzzling our gratitude to God. Now, the other extreme is possible too. We can get so excited about it, so unnaturally us, that like we're trying to create some euphoric experience and we want to like fall on our knees and lift our hands held high and take everyone out and share BO with the whole room. There's a whole number of ways we can do it, right? But, but we can try and do it so much that we actually miss the words we're singing. We get so focused on trying to be in the moment that we miss the maker. There's a, um, an infamous theologian called Frederick Nietzsche. He's kind of an anti-Christian guy, um, pretty much hated Christians. But he had this little line about singing, and he said he'd be more likely to believe the Redeemer, Jesus, if the redeemed looked a little more redeemed. He'd be more, he'd be more likely to, redeem, to, to believe in the Redeemer if the redeemed looked a little, looked a little more redeemed. And I think that's true. We've got to ask ourselves, do we really believe that Jesus died for us? Do we really believe that God raised him from the dead? That our life is now in Christ and we have a great future? I want to say, friends, we need to sing like we believe it. Not like, oh, we've got 10 more minutes of this, then I'm out, and then I've got to pick up the kids from kids' church, and then I've got the in-laws coming around for lunch today. And then, yeah, God, you're great. We sing your praises. Um, yeah. Imagine if I do that to, to kind of my wife. Sarah, you're awesome. Um, I just want to go do something else for a while. I don't know. I'm playing a computer game. I don't play I'm playing my guitar. Just, yeah, you're great, Sarah, but I'm doing something else. It's kind of be pretty hollow, right? I think a good way, I try and think through this, a good way of thinking about how I should sing in church is how I sing when I go to a concert. If I'm the type of person that's like, yeah, I really like the music and I stand there kind of, but I wouldn't kind of sing at the top of my voice and put my hand in the air then you're probably going to be similar in the way you are at church. You're going to be more reserved. So you don't need to just, oh, because I'm at church, go put my hands in the air and go crazy. But if you go to a rock concert and you're crazy, and you're like going, this is like awesome, and you're singing on top of your voice, and then you come to church and you're not singing on top of your voice, are you more excited about you too than Jesus? Or insert favorite musicians there. Anyway, side note. So the question for us to think through is that music and other ways of these gifts of healing, of tongues, of prophecy, they all have the kind of idea amongst them that we can get closer to God because of them. But what we're seeing here is that ultimately it's God's Word that brings us close to Him. Simply having an emotion doesn't mean we're experiencing God. God is present by His Word as He speaks to us. His Spirit and His Word work together. They're never separated. It's like, that's why they call Scripture God breathes, breathed out by God, inspired. The Spirit makes God's Word come alive in our hearts. It's as God speaks to us, He convicts us, He molds us, He's, He's changing us. I'm not trying to offer people a spiritless Christianity. I'm trying to say the true Christianity we only get by God's Spirit who convicts us if we grab on to God's Word. If God has spoken, if He's actually spoken to us, then you can't have a more real experience of Him than Him speaking to you. Part of the problem is sometimes we feel that these words, they just don't make me feel like what I'd imagine it would be like when I'm encountering God. Maybe there's some work I've got to do in my head to think through this is God.
just say for a moment um, that you want to experience me, Rowan. I start talking to you. I'm like, okay, let me, let me tell you about Rowan. My name's Rowan. I was born in 1981. Um, I'm 32 years old. Uh, I've got four children. Um, and your eyes start glazing over, which I'd understand. Like, I don't think my story is particularly funny or great or kind of, you know, so what? That's, you know, brilliant. Um, you kind of say, look, oh, I'm sick of your words. I can understand that too. But what you're actually saying is that you don't want to hear me anymore. You don't want to experience relationship with me. It's hard to experience relationship with me without words, right? Let me tell you about myself. Sorry, I nodded. I shouldn't have nodded. You get nothing. If we want to hear God, we need to hear his word. And that is where we experience God. You get to know him in his word from the inside, not just someone's view of him, but him revealing himself to us, letting us know his plans, letting us see the future he has out and the importance of Jesus. We certainly don't go around trying to blow up an inflatable model of God and make it speak and go, that's God, it's awesome, because when I open its mouth, I feel the breeze in my hair. I, I don't know. We want to hear God as he speaks in his word. Now, what convinced me of this point was a little passage in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book. Um, the writer of Hebrews was comparing hearing God's voice at Mount Sinai. When the Ten Commandments were there, there was thunder, there was lightning, the earth shook, God spoke, Israel had to change their pants because, like, they were all scared. Scared out of their brains. They said to Moses, you go, you go. We don't want to talk to God. We don't want to go near this guy. Like, if we go near the mountain, um, like God had said, if you come near and you touch it when you shouldn't, you'll die. Your sheep, if they go near it, they'll die as well. There's this kind of huge power in God's word. And these guys saw it visibly and they were freaked out. So up Moses goes. You go. <laughs> Everyone stands there. We'll, we'll listen to what he says when you come back and you can just tell us what he says. So in Hebrews, the writer is comparing hearing God's voice where all Israel heard it to hearing now about Jesus. Verse 25 of chapter 12. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? In other words, Connect Groups this week are going to look at this in a heap more detail and you kind of see the context of where it fits. So come along if you're not in one, jump in one. Um, but what he's saying is that God's word through Jesus was better than hearing God's voice in Sinai. As we meet the person of Jesus, as the apostles explain to us who Jesus is in the New Testament, we have a clearer, a better, a truer understanding of God than if you heard his voice. That blows me away. The writer of Hebrews is saying that we now have a clearer understanding of God through Jesus than actually hearing him just with our ears. The Israelites died because they didn't hear and they didn't follow what God said. That's why they're in the desert. We'll say that next week. How much more us? If we hear this testimony about Jesus and as we look back and hear what Moses has to say to the people of Israel and how that applies to us, if we walk away from it and ignore it, then can you imagine it's going to turn out any better than it did for Israel? What we do here, week by week in church, going through the books of the Bible, looking at what God has said to us, what we do in our connect groups throughout the week, trying to think through, what does this mean for me? 
How do, you know, it's the, it's the so what question. How do I live if this is what God has said? Or as we open God's word each day, as we read the Bible, what we do is vitally important. Because the Bible's claim is that these words are God's words and they concern you. As I was preparing this talk this week, it hit me about what a hypocrite I was. I'm here going, yep, I agree with this. Theologically, this is exactly right. Um, Of course I do. It's God's word, right? But I'm like, I'm thinking through it. And then it just hit me that I've just been so busy that I think a number of mornings this week, I went, I don't have time to read God's word. I've got to prepare a sermon on how important God's word is. But we do it, don't we? We forget that we experience God as he speaks to us. Is it sinful not to do a quiet time every day? No, it's not sinful. It's just stupid. Like, why wouldn't you want to listen to God? Why wouldn't Why wouldn't I? Well, because my heart is hard. Because I get lazy. Because I forget this is God speaking to me. But if I really believe what the Bible claims about itself, man, I want to hear it. I'm not saying you've got to go do it every day, but I am saying... I need to connect with God through his word. I need to experience God. I'm here feeling like, oh, I'd love to be more and more captivated by Jesus. I'd love to have my heart and mind set and focused on him. God, help me to do that today, and then I get into work. And he's like, hello, just look here. I'm talking to you about him. What we do in church, and as we open God's word, is massively important. The person speaking it isn't. Whether it's the speaker up the front here or someone in your connect groups or someone you're listening to online, you know, if they're a particularly skillful leader or not, if they've got kind of cool stories that help you kind of stay on track and really kind of nail it home and make you sit on the edge of your seat and go, this is a great talk, man, this is awesome. Pretty much that's nothing. It's helpful at times. It It can be helpful. So many of us have this sort of, including me, this celebrity preacher syndrome where you've heard a great preacher and they've really impacted you and you're like, oh, I've got to hear more of their stuff because they'll help me get connected to God. If I hear that guy more and more and more, he will help me really kind of experience God. We experience God through his word by his spirit. God can make the rocks talk. He can make a guy with rocks in his head speak. He can certainly impact us just through his word. The skill of the preacher has got nothing to do with it. It's nice, it makes it helpful, but it's kind of like the froth and bubble on top of a wave. The the real power is not in the kind of froth and that foam, you know, as a big wave comes towards you. The power is not in that foam. It's in the content of the wave. So it is with preaching, with God's word, with connect groups. The power is in God speaking, the one who is behind what's hitting us. If the Bible seems irrelevant to you, like it's not really about me, like I don't really care, then I want you to be challenged today. It claims it is about you. God is claiming you need to hear these words. These are words worth hearing. And what we see is that God's word always pulls us together and points us to Jesus. Points us to God's big plan. We see here Moses is is telling these people again at the edge of the desert as they're about to enter into God's promises. He says to them, remember what I said to Abraham. Remember my promise? That I would give him a great name. 
great children, many blessings, and a land. Well, that's still part of God's plan today, except as we see the Bible pointing forward, it's no longer to a physical land, but to a person. And that person is called Jesus. For in him we have a greater word than God speaking audibly. We have God in the flesh. And his claim is that we need him. If you haven't really checked out Jesus, we'd love you to. We'd love you to keep coming along and these talks will keep pointing back to Jesus because that's what the Bible does. But ultimately we think Jesus is the answer to this world's problems. He's the answer to my problems because he's died in my place and offers me life that lasts forever. These words claim you can have life that lasts forever. I think they're words worth hearing. Don't you? Let's pray. Father God, I confess that so often when I come to your word or to a new day that I guess there's just something in me and in us that often we don't want to hear you. We fall into the trap of thinking there's a greater experience of you than you speaking to us. By your spirit and through your word of you convicting us and molding us and changing us. And we, we look for other things and we end up with a mixture of things that are true and things with wrong emphasis and we end up not hearing you. Lord, please speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Discipline us to actually want to read your word. Let us come to your word and hear you and know you and understand what an amazing God you are. Don't let us get apathetic, Lord, and forget what you've spoken to our forefathers. But help us to remember what you have done throughout history and see how that all ends up in Jesus, the total answer for all our need and offers us life. And Lord, if we're here today and we haven't yet put our trust in Jesus, we ask that as we check you out, you would really show yourself to us. You show us how what you've done stacks up, that really Jesus was a person of history and this person of history died for us. Convict us, Lord, and help us to trust you. Amen.